Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. To be discipled and to disciple others, ministry unto believers, to equip one another. And for that, we need intentionality and we need humility, teachability, to allow the people around us to speak into our lives so that we can grow. And we need to be intentional. We actually need to answer the question where do you want to grow and how do you want to grow in that area? Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Just to, in general, want to be more like Jesus is kind of a broad thing, difficult to define, and that's why we rarely don't grow we need to do that and then secondly ministry unto believers as any shared last week so beautifully the call to go and share with the believers outside and one of the things that he mentioned as well that whether you want to know it or not whether you realize it or not whether you're intentional about it or not that you have a ministry and not in the sense that there's something that God wants you to do and you need to go and do that no but you give something to people and what you give them is what you have how you act the things that you show, the things that you say, you give that to the people around you. You are modeling that. And sometimes in a good extent, sometimes in a bad extent. You know, in the, the homes that certain people grow up in, when you see a good example by your, your parents, then you're like, man, I want that. I want to do that. I want to also see that in my family. I also want to be that dad or have that mom or whatever the case might be. But the same is true for the opposite. If we see something bad, People are like, I don't want that. You kind of have a negative effect. If someone is abusing alcohol, whatever the case might be, whatever they gave you influenced you to such an extent that you actually are shifting and pushing those things away. So it's not as if there's something that you need to go and do and that will influence people, but what you are doing is busy influencing people. Already, you are giving something to the people around you. You are modeling something to the people around you. You are saying something to the people around you. And many times the way we deal with unbelievers and the people around us is we expect stuff from them and we kind of have a prideful way of looking down on them because we expect them to behave as Christians when they are not. Spiritually blind, they cannot see. That's why they act in a certain way. And many times it's a bit confusing because of traditional Christianity. People saying that they're Christians. It's kind of a little bit of their own fault as well. But many times they act the way they act because they can't see what they are supposed to see. And before we dive into the sermon, I quickly want to ask us a question. In light of sharing with the world around us, in light of sharing with the believers around us, you don't have to answer, just answer for yourself. What was the three points that Henny asked us to pray about at the end of last week's sermon? Second question out of what passage of scripture did any preach last week? 2 Corinthians 4. But it's very important for us to remember, whenever we hear information, and the end goal is to simply hear it and to see how long we can remember whatever we heard, how much of that information do you think we actually retain? 6 to 10%, the average person. It's shocking. Like there are some people that remember more stuff, but I was shocked but it also made a lot of sense, huh? doesn't it? Six to 10%, that's a shocking amount. 
You see, the other 40% that adds up to 50 is when we intentionally start to apply that in our lives immediately. Whatever we start to apply, we'll, we'll get to around 50% because I'm actually applying these things in my life. The other 50% comes when we actually try to teach other people and help them apply it in their lives as well. And in light of what God calls us to do as Christians, that makes a lot of sense. That's the way we're supposed to live. In our modern culture, people have taught us that you are what you know. You know, if you know something, it's kind of the end goal. But we know that's not true. You need to actually apply what you know. For you to have any sort of change in your life, in fact, the more stuff you know and the less you apply, the more deceived you will become. Inevitably. Specifically, if it's moral stuff that you know. Moral ways of living, right ways of living, stuff that you should do to the people around you. And the, the less you do that, the more you have to justify yourself. But we need to understand this. See, if, if someone knows a hundred verses of scripture, but he doesn't apply any of them, and there's someone that knows a single verse and applies that single verse, then the one that applies the single verse is the more mature Christian. The one actually applying the words that we learn. And that's why we're going to focus on this ministry unto believers and to just test our hearts here as we look at the story of Jonah. Very interesting story. You know, one of the unique things about the book of Jonah is that it ends with a question that isn't answered. It's kind of an easy question to answer, but the reason for it is because the biblical writer expects us to read the story and then to as the readers, as the listeners, as the people that reflect back on the story to answer the question for ourselves. It is supposed to be there for introspection. Because unfortunately, ancient Israel and the modern day church often acts like Jonah. We are often in that place and God needs to remind us of the same things that he reminded Jonah of for us to do what we are supposed to do again. So let's read through the story of Jonah and reflect on a couple of stuff. We're just going to go through chapter 1 tonight. So let's read together. Jonah 1, verse 1 to 17. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we might know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the Lord fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? 
For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? For, uh, for the sea might quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Interesting story that many of us have maybe heard from a young age. And the one thing to just note, that this is an historical account of something that actually happened. You know, many times we in our modern day world wants to say, no, this is kind of like a parable Jesus told. This is not the Good Samaritan. This man actually lived. It's not a made-up story. You know, we read in 2 Kings 14 about uh, Jeroboam II and Jonah being prophet in his time as well and prophesying some of the stuff that would happen in that region as well. So this is an historical account. And many people say, no, but the physical stuff could not have happened. And if you are one of those people that say, no, the story sounds a little bit unrealistic. I'm not sure if that could happen. The problem that you have is with this God concept. You don't understand that as you should. God does as he pleases. Even the, the Gentile mariners knew that. Even the sailors understood that if there is an omnipotent almighty being, he can do as he pleases. God can, can do what he wants to do. And while this is an historical account of something that happens, it's also a very symbolic account for us to reflect on. Intentionally showing something about the heart of Israel and the heart of the church. A place that we often find ourselves at, that we should reflect and ask and answer certain questions that's being asked in this specific passage. And it all starts here in chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, saying, Now the word, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And in this passage of scripture where we are supposed to kind of relate to Jonah or try to, you know, envision something so that we can see what's going on and examine our own hearts, this is a great story. And the reason for that is many times when we reflect on history or certain accounts of the Bible, we want to identify with the good people. Amen. Unfortunately, as human beings, we think we are more moral and more righteous than we actually are. We have to kind of convince ourselves that we are good and nice people. That's why it's many times not so nice to draw near to the presence of God. Or to actually ask the question, Lord, what do you want to say to me? I'll obey whatever you say. Sometimes terrifying because then he actually says something and you're like, no, but me did me. Not that way. Let's, let's stay with the nice stuff. I remember this one guy actually asked his, his brothers. He went to them and he told them, listen, yeah. I want you to be honest with me. We're going to practice some humility and some teachability. And I want you to tell me what's an area of my life that I can work on. 
And he went to them and he asked the question and all of them said the exact same thing. And he replied, no, not that, choose something else. Now we do that many times. We think we are more righteous and more moral than we actually are. And the great thing about the story of Jonah, it's not some kind of hypothetical reality that we need to create. What if I also had this calling? Why? Because we do have this calling. You see, the word of the Lord came to Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, we're not specifically called to go to Nineveh, but it says in Hebrews 1 that in the past, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, He spoke to us through His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. And what did Jesus say to the church? The Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and teaching them to do all that I have taught you. So we have the same calling. It's not something that we kind of need to create in our heads, a, a reality that doesn't exist. No, no, we can actually just look at our current reality and see where our hearts actually are. Because we have the same call. We're also called to go. And also very important in the book of Jonah, we also see what message we are supposed to go and give to people. Holistic one, Jonah didn't get it quite right. But nonetheless, we are actually called to do this as well. And whenever it comes to calling, something that we need to understand here as well, something that I learned from Germo a couple of years ago, that whenever it comes to calling, something that God is calling you to, something that God wants you to do, or just in general, something that you want to do as well can work the same way. There's two kind of lines on a graph that you need to bear in mind when it comes to us having this calling and something that God is calling us to do. The first one is intentionality or responsibility or ownership. Any one of those can work. God has called me to do certain, a certain thing. How intentional am I trying to do what God has called me to do? That's the one line. How much ownership have I taken of the calling that God has given me? How much responsibility responsibility and then the other line is ability are you able to actually do what God has called you to do die vermoe het jy die vermoe om te doen wat God jou roep om te doen ability and intentionality and I quickly want to ask to answer that question when it comes to reaching the world to go and make disciples of nations where are you on that graph you find yourself in one of three places to a lesser or greater extent. Either you want to, but you can't. You can or you don't want to. Or you can and you are busy doing what God has called you to do. One of those three areas to a greater or lesser extent. Where are you? Quickly take a minute. Just reflect on that. So where are you on that graph? Intentionality versus ability. And if you're trying to like kind of struggle with the intentionality part, you know, how, how do I know if I'm able, if I'm actually intentional about it? Then you'll actually do it. And it's as easy as that. If we really want to do something, we will do something. Amen. If you want to go jogging tomorrow and you can jog, then you will go jogging. It's as easy as that. We know that. We understand that. It's not that difficult to figure out. It's not difficult to make sense of that. Intentionality versus ability. 
And the reason I ask this is because we need to understand that if we currently find ourselves in a place where we can but we are not willing to, then we are disobedient to the call of God. If we are in a place where we are not able but we are willing, then it can also be a bit of disobedience. Now I'll tell you why that is in a moment. You know, maybe the easiest place to turn our hearts and to see that we are being disobedient to God is obviously when we can but we don't want to. I have the capacity, I understand the gospel, I know what God has done for me, I can go and share that with the world around me, I just don't want to. That's the easiest place to repent of, saying, Lord, I know, I understand, I see that my heart is not where it's supposed to be, and it could be for a number of reasons, and we'll maybe look at that the next couple of weeks, but I see that I need to turn my hearts back, but inevitably some sort of disconnection with God. I'm not walking with God as I should anymore. I'm not seeing the gospel as I should anymore. I'm not looking to Christ as I should anymore. And that's why my heart is turned away. I have a misconception about who I am and about who God is. That's what it comes down to. But a bit more difficult is when we're at a place where we, we say we want to, but we are not able. And the reason I say say we want to, because some of us, yes, we've, we've, we've met Christ just a couple of months ago or weeks ago, maybe for some of us days ago, who knows. And this has been a fairly new journey, and there's a desire to go and tell people about God, but you're really unable, but you are intentionally busy growing. But you see, if you are sitting here tonight, and you have said to yourself for a while, for a couple of years, man, I want to, I just can't, then you actually don't want to. Because you would have been able by now. You would have been able to equip yourself by now. You would have been able to grow intentionally by now. So that you can go and share what God has laid on your heart. And we don't need all that much to go and share with the world around us. It can start with simple invitations as well, sharing our testimony. But it has to grow to a place where we can communicate the gospel to the people around us. See, a little bit of a convicting thing maybe. But if we say we believe in something, we need to be able to articulate that. Why? Because if you can't articulate it, you don't understand it. And you actually say, I want to believe in it, but I can't because I'm not actually sure what that is. You need to be able to explain what you believe in. And I understand coming to faith in you know, this concept of God and who Christ is. And it's an unfathomable concept. We'll never understand God fully, but we can understand and know him truly. Amen. We need to be able to share that with the world around us. You see, because before we get to the main question and the main thing that we need to learn here in this first chapter, there's kind of a, a sub-teaching, if you can call it that, that God wants us to see here about what happens when we disobey. You see, in this book, there's six times where this word arise comes in. God calling Jonah to arise, 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 six times. Eventually the person that arises is the king of Nineveh, but nonetheless, arise and go to Nineveh. But we see Jonah continuously going down. A theme that repeats itself, a phrase that repeats itself. Jonah is called to arise and obey God, but he disobeys and goes down. Down to Joppa, down onto the boat, down into the inner parts of the boat, down into the sea, down into the belly of the fish. He continuously goes down. And he's teaching us something about disobedience. Firstly is that your disobedience will cost you something. He needed to pay the fare. 
But your disobedience will cost you something. And your disobedience will lead you into unnecessary storms in your life. Something we need to see is something we need to note. I'm not speaking about the prosperity gospel. You know, if you obey God, then no storm will come. No, there will be persecution. There will be trials. There will be tribulations. That God intends and that God sends to glorify him and to shape our character so that we look more like Christ. For his eternal glory and our eternal good. But here I'm speaking about self-inflicted storms. Self-inflicted pain, self-inflicted troubles. And I'm sure every single one of us can think about a moment where our disobedience led to something like this. Not a physical storm on a ship, I mean. Unnecessary trouble, unnecessary pain. It ended up costing you something and it didn't have to. It didn't have to. Your own disobedience, your own unwillingness led to that place. And important to see that eventually our disobedience will lead to death. If you continue to disobey God, you'll move more away from the presence of God. It will lead to death. Down into the depths of the sea. You can go and read Jonah chapter 2. Luckily, a merciful God, when we repent, he relents and he saves. And there's grace for that. But our disobedience will cost us something. And our disobedience will lead to death eventually. And another thing we see here in line with disobedience is in verse 4 and 5. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. Second point on disobedience. Your disobedience will also be costly to those around you. Your disobedience will be costly to those around you. This is a good place to reflect on your friends at the moment. Because their disobedience will also affect you. People willingly being disobedient to God and doing certain things that they're not supposed to do, it hurts the people around them. We see that around us. We're every day affected by the sins of people. And many times people are affected by our sins. Not a great thing. All of a sudden looking around, it's a suspect at the people around you know. What kind of storms these people are going to get us into. Thinking about the people at work. But we've seen this. Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've seen this with friends or families. Where people did things that they were not supposed to do. And it affected up costing someone else badly. And sometimes even their lives. Because of the disobedience of other people. And before we get too suspect of the people around us, another lack, definite theme in the book of Jonah is the sovereignty of God. So while we will affect one another, while there will be inevitable hurt and storms caused by the sins of us and those around us, God still remains sovereign and he does as he pleases and he still accomplishes his purpose. Amen. You see, because... The sailors had to throw the cargo into the sea. It was their livelihood. It's what they did for a life. The things that they maybe took to Tarshish to sell, to deal with, to trade. They lost that. They had to throw it into the sea. It cost them that. Because of Jonah's disobedience. But luckily a sovereign God at the end of this chapter, we see that it moves from God to Lord. See, God is the word Elohim in the Hebrew. The word Lord is Yahweh, the covenant name for God. So these sailors, although they lost their livelihood, they came to meet 
and to see a revelation of Yahweh and they offered sacrifices to him and they ended up worshipping him. You know, one of the things as well, you know, just laughs. I saw a meme the other day about a, a person, you know, jokingly saying stuff that we many times say as Christians that just isn't true. And one of those things is, you know, God will never call you to do something that you don't want to do. And then there's a meme with Jonah in the corner like, oh, okay. As Jesus say, if you say so, but not how I experienced it. Kind of feels to me that God is sovereign and whether you want to or not, he's going to accomplish his purpose. Might as well go along. Said it to Paul as well, you know, there's no, no, no need kicking against the gout. Stop resisting. Sovereign God will accomplish his purpose. And we are still responsible for the mistakes we make and the disobedience that we do. But God is luckily sovereign. Same with Nineveh. He accomplished his purpose, what he wanted to do, whether Jonah was willing or unwilling, reluctant or unreluctant, doesn't matter. God still accomplished what he wanted to do. But we need to understand, you know, with that rise and go, but Jonah went down to. Jonah rose to do something else. Every single day, most of the choices you make, you'll either be arising to obey or arising to disobey. You'll stand up to obey, to follow God, or you're going to move down in disobedience. Your choice. But there's no gray area. You see, many times we, we look at the story of Jonah and we say, no, but he actively ran away, man. That's something else. That's a different type of disobedience. But in chapter 4, we also see Jonah in another form of disobedience. As he just goes into Nineveh, proclaims half of the gospel and goes and sits on the hill and waits for the city to be doomed. Forty days, Nineveh will, will be overthrown. That's the message. And then Jonah goes and sits on the hill and waits to see what will happen with the city. Passive. Passivity is also disobedience. Doing actively the wrong thing and doing nothing. Both of those things is not what God intends us to do. Tomorrow morning when you arise, when you go, to, when you go home tonight, you'll actually be arising to obedience or disobedience. You choose. To arise and be closer to God and experience God in a deeper way or by disobedience moving further away from the presence of God. It will be costly to you and it will be costly to those around you. But now to get to the, the main point, kind of the sub-teaching important for us to understand specifically when it comes to you know, this, I don't have the ability but I have the willingness, arise. The Afrikaans says Mark Law. Get ready. Equip yourself. Equip yourself and go and do what God has called you to do. But don't just sit passively. Don't run in the wrong direction, but also don't just sit and wait for stuff to happen miraculously. Arise. Stand up. Equip yourself to do what God has called you to do. But now, to get to the, the main reflection question for us as, as the church that's being displayed here in the book of Jonah, and it's quite a harsh thing to reflect on if we understand it correctly when we understand it as it should it, it, it quite it, it hits home you see as you martins would say this is the world rebuking the church this specific passage of scripture is the world rebuking the church and it's here in verse 6 so the captain came and said to him what do you mean you sleeper arise call out to your god perhaps the god will give a thought to us that we might not perish. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. 
And it's a, a heathen captain that doesn't know God, that's from a different nation, serving different gods, going to the prophet called by God to be a light to the world, as we as the church are called to be a light to the world and to go and preach the gospel to the nation. And he's asking, why are you asleep? The world rebuking the church, why are you asleep? You see, unfortunately, right through the history of Israel and also the church, something that we should be known for that we tragically neglect and really struggle with is to reach out to the people around us. We really struggle with that. We really don't get that right. And here the world is rebuking the church. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we are perishing? Is it fine for you? Is that okay? Is that enough? Specifically in the Old Testament, you know, many times we think that this whole idea of missions and reaching the nations is a New Testament thing, but it's from the Old Testament. God's saying to Abraham, from the very beginning, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Like we saw in ministering unto God, all of Israel was supposed to be priests unto God, that ministers unto God, ministers unto those around them and brings them into relationship with this covenant God. But a tragic neglect what do you mean you're sleeper something for us to reflect on tonight why are we constantly asleep as the church when it comes to reaching the people around us why are we not arising and calling to our god and that there is the problem and the solution we are asleep and we do not call out to our god we are not in intimate relationship with god we are not regularly playing for the, praying for the salvation of those around us and that's why we are so bad at it most of the time you see arise and pray to your god arise and call out to your gods twofold like any said last week as well so beautifully that many people struggle with evangelism because it's difficult to speak about someone that you don't know you've heard of god You've heard the stories, you've, you've heard other people speak about you don't know God yourself. You've heard other people pray, but you are not regularly praying to God. And when we pray, it's for supplication, not for relationship. Arise and call out to your God. It is difficult to speak about someone that you don't know. And the question we need to ask ourselves tonight is, do you know God or do you know about God? Because there is a difference. Have you heard stories about God or have you experienced God? When you speak to people about the things that God has done, is it, you know, someone told me or my friend the other day or, or that person then, or is it in my life? This has happened. I've experienced this salvation. What comes to mind when someone mentions the presence of God? You see, you will know when you've encountered the presence of God about how you missed it when it's not there. Is that something that resonates with you? Is there a reality attached to that? Or is it only stories that you've heard? But out of an intimate relationship with God flows the heart of Christ for the nations, for the people around us, inevitably. But then also to pray specifically for the salvation of those around us. That's how God stirs our hearts to go and do what he's called us to do. It starts with prayer. It starts by arising and praying to our God. You see, the irony of the story is the world is more concerned about the life of those around them than we are many times. 
You see, when the sailors saw that it's Jonah's fault that the storm was raging around them, they asked him, what should we do? He said, throw us, throw, just throw me overboard. What did they do? They tried to row back to shore with all their might, even in the storm. While Jonah said nothing. The world many times being more moral than we are. That's quite the rebuke. Being more active about the wrong stuff that's happening around us than we are many times. Why are we asleep? Because we are not rising and calling to our God. And another irony of the story is something that we should note. And Jonah just keeps silent the whole time. What does the sailor say? He says, perhaps. Who knows? Maybe this God will care whether we perish or not. Who, who knows? I don't know. I don't know if you will or not. The king of Nineveh, when the message is preached to them, he says, who knows? Maybe if we repent, this God will relent. Who knows? The church knows. We know. Jonah knew. The world doesn't know. There's people around that, and thinking to themselves, and this will make sense. As I said, maybe you've heard it. I don't know if God will forgive me. Man, I've messed up too bad, or I just need to sort myself out before I go to this God, or I'm too far off, I've messed up one too many times. Who knows if God will forgive? We know. Because he's forgiven us. He said that example with us. Many times we forget about that. We think we add something to our salvation. And we look in pride to the people around us instead of with compassion. You seem to answer the question of whether the God will maybe care about us if we perish. A similar story happened 800 years after Jonah. And we read it here in Mark chapter 4, 37 to 39. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke. And rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Jesus arising and saying, I do care if you perish or not. And the same result as in the story of Jonah. The moment they threw Jonah overboard, they said, and the, the storm calmed down, a great fear came upon them and they offered sacrifices to the Lord. And this, this same story, when the storms died down, they were terribly afraid, the disciples. And they said to one another, who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. This is the same God who sent the wind and the sea in the story of Jonah. And as the sailors prayed, Lord, do not hold this against us. We don't want to kill an innocent man. Jonah wasn't innocent. And they threw him overboard. But Jesus Christ was and he threw himself into the storm of the wrath of God so that we do not need to experience that when we follow him, when we place our faith in him. You see, even the sailors knew that this is no average storm. They were sailors, they were used to storms on the sea. But they immediately knew that this is the wrath of a God against someone's disobedience. Calling out to their God, telling Jonah to call out to his, casting lots. This is, this is normal. We see that this is the wrath of God busy at work here. What are we to do? And Jesus Christ 
throwing himself into the sea. That's why he could say, peace be still, and the storm just died down. And he didn't need to go down into the water because he hung on the cross for us. You see, Jesus says he was also sent to an evil people. That's us, by the way. He was also sent to an evil people, like the evil Ninevites. And when he got there, he says, one sign will be given to this evil generation. What? The sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days in the heart of the earth. On our account, showing to the world that this God cares if we perish or not, to such an extent that he came and laid down his life for us. In exchange, not just the message, repent or else God. But look at me, I'll give my life so that when you trust in me, the storm can also quiet down. And Jesus asking the same thing of the church. Matthew 9, 36 to 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The reason why we tragically neglect reaching the people around us as the church is because we fail to pray for the harvest. The first step to the magnitude of the harvest isn't going, it is praying. Why? Because we go but we are not sent and we don't endure. Instead of actively praying for it so that God can shift and move our hearts so that when we look at the people around us, we do not preach a message out of pride, but out of compassion. Knowing that the only reason I am saved is because Christ came for me as well. To lay down his life so that I might believe. An important thing for us to realize here tonight, if we do not often contemplate the salvation of those around us, then we should contemplate our own salvation. If you do not consider the salvation of those around you, you should consider your own salvation. Because God is calling us to have a heart of compassion. Because we know, we have seen what he did for us. We desire him to do that for those around us as well. Amen. Let's stand together and then we pray. Yes, Lord, Father, thank you that we can come before you tonight, Lord. Also knowing, Lord, that the overwhelming theme throughout this book as well is the grace of God. Constantly showing, Lord, the nature of God, Lord, and the nature of man, Father, now we fall short, Lord, and in our arrogance, Lord. Many times unwilling, Lord, to do what you've called us to do, but you have grace on all of us, Lord. Whether we are in Jonah's shoes, Lord, or in the, the sailor's shoes, Father. When, whether we are people that never knew you, Father, and we, we've never surrendered to you, Father. Always just busy with our own lives. Or whether we have known you, Father, and we've experienced your salvation and your leading, Lord. We've drifted sway, Lord, and our hearts have turned hard, Lord. Your grace is still sufficient for all of us. And if you are here tonight and you are in the same shoes as Jonah, a hard heart, you know, you know the salvation of God. You've experienced it. But you've grown cold to the people around you. 
reluctant to share the message of the gospel. Maybe just passive in general. You don't even know the last time when you prayed. Or prayed intentionally, specifically. If that is you, lift up your voice to God. Just there where you stand. Say, here I am, Lord. I'm turning my heart back and I'm looking to Christ. But arise and call out to your God. Pray to the one who cares. One who has grace. And maybe you are here and you identify more of the sailors. You've never experienced the salvation of God. You can't remember a day when a holy God made you alive again. Something changed. All the way in Christ is a new creation. If you don't know when that new creation happened or if it happened, you, you just don't know. You've never experienced the presence of God. Just there we are. Lift up your voice to God. If you don't know what to say, just tell God, Lord, I don't know what to say, but here I am. Lead me, Lord. If you are here tonight and you have a desire, you want to, you, you, you're just not able. Just to be able to stand, also just lift your voice to God. Allow Him to show you, to lead you to those around you so that you can be intentional about equipping yourself to do what God has called you to do. Allow the people around you to speak into your life. Walk a path of accountability of someone. But whatever you do, don't just stand here tonight. Arise and call out to your God. We pray, Lord, as a church, Father, that you would come and shift our hearts, Lord, that we might look, Lord, to the people around us in compassion, Father, knowing that they are harassed and helpless, Lord, like the people of Nineveh, Lord, they can tell their right hand from their left. And there's a lot of people, Lord, out there asking the question, who knows? Who knows what will happen if we turn to this God? Who knows whether he will forgive? We know. We know, Lord. And may you send, Lord, those who know to a world that don't know, Father, to go and proclaim to them the message of the gospel, both sides, that our evil has come up before the Lord and He will require judgment. He will judge this world in righteousness. But if we repent, He will relent. He is a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The full gospel, Lord. To the whole world. In Jesus' name.